1: Welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Malian and alongside me I have the Chief Sports Writer of the Independent, Jonathan Liu. Hello. And, not to mention, the London Football Correspondent of the Independent, Jack Pitbrook. Is that a new job title? Well, what is your technical job title?
2: Uh, football Reporter, I think is what it says on my contract.
1: Well, you know, we can always change these things. Um, the way I see it, uh, you are a top man in London, um, ahead of Miguel and Johnny. Uh, and thus, uh, you were at the North London Derby yesterday. Uh, I guess that's a perfect segue.
2: I was, yeah. I was not expecting that at all. I thought that Tottenham would win because of how good they were against Chelsea last weekend. But in I, I thought Arsenal did to them what Tottenham usually do to Arsenal in the sense that often in these North London derbies, like Arsenal might be able to win with quality, but it's Tottenham who overwhelm them with... Uh, physical energy and pressing and attention to detail and tactical ingenuity. Whereas the shoe was com- was on completely the other foot yesterday. Um, it was Arsenal who pressed more intensely from the start, who were more tactically flexible. They started playing one way with a 3-4-3, three, three, then changed at half-time to a 3-4-1-2, then changed to a back four, I think, towards the end of the second half. And Ars- Arsenal was so much more kind of meticulous and focused and organised and disciplined in a way that you're not used to seeing in these games
0: and they kind of they completely caught Tottenham off guard can can a shoe be completely on the other other foot if there's only i mean there's only two feet right the zapato
1: was on the other PA in this uh, case
0: i nearly said, yeah uh on the other absolute foot <laughs> the, the, the shoe was completely on the other foot i guess I, 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 anyway it's a it's a it's a minor point what great game it was
1: i i really enjoyed it for a start i would say Spurs, like leading at half time, was was a bit of a false scoreline in the first place. But sometimes you need that in a game because what it means is the other team that's been dominant has to come out and be more dominant. They have to play more. Um, And there were some good goals. There were some good substitutions, I thought, from Unai Emery. I think that's what uh, most of the praise, I don't know how much you guys have read, um, but from what I've read, most of the praise for yesterday is kind of ended up landing on Unai Emery's doorstep rather than anyone else.
0: Um, in, in the words of Disraeli. Disraeli was, um, you know, the the states, great statesman from the nineteenth um, century. He, he often said, uh, "When I want to read a novel, I write one," um, which which is why he wrote terrible novels. But anyway, when I when I want to when I want to read an analysis, I write one.
1: So Johnny's saying he's better than anyone else there. Um, you can actually find out if that's true at the FSF awards tonight, where Johnny and Jack are both too <laughs> humble to know uh, that they've uh, been nominated for what is it? Writer of the Year, football writer of the
2: year. Yeah, so Johnny and I are both up for writer of the year um, on a shortlist with Barney Rone of the Guardian, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times, uh, John Nicholson of Football Three Six Five, and Susie Rack of I think the Guardian. The, um, the problem, I mean, the thing is, it's a it's a vote, uh, and that and unfortunately, Johnny most people. Yeah, <laughs> and Johnny and I have been, I think, probably two. Uh, we. I I think we think that it's vulgar to run an electioneering campaign, which it is. Unfortunately, this means we're almost certainly going to get beaten by somebody who has been electioneering (laughs) for it hard. Uh, At which point we're kind of left in the position of thinking, well, maybe we should have pushed harder for votes. But on the other hand, we can retain the kind of moral high ground. And actually, this very podcast is in the same position because the Indie Football Podcast is shortlisted for podcast of the year, which we're delighted about. And fans, thank you so much for everyone who's voted for us. But we should have mentioned this on the pod yeah maybe. we should have done. we should, we we should we have got
0: mentioning it now i'm uh, mentioning it now it's a bit late though it's it's tonight and and possibly even by the like, time most you, people have listened to by it, the time most we people will have, have already not lost. won the award yeah.
2: yeah what i'm really surprised about is why the ballon d'or has chosen to go up against the football Sporters federation awards on the same evening because well, i'm sure that like how's Luka modric going to know which one to go to <laughs>
1: well you know if you wanted more proof that fifa is absolutely screwed uh, i think we've just seen it uh, and as you said, we we probably won't win the awards tonight because we haven't tried to get votes we appreciate some people you know they need the votes for the validation we're very happy with what we're doing
0: awards awards come and go the brand is priceless
1: yeah absolutely Uh, as Russell once said Um, so the North London Derby after that brief uh, very self-centered interlude um, Spurs were really bad and it was a good thing is for Spurs they basically had three really big games in a week you know they had the Chelsea game where I think They surprised everyone by how good they were. They had the inter-game that you were at, Johnny, Mm -hmm. where they had to win. Yeah. uh, And they did. And then there's this letdown at the end. So, you know, two out of three ain't bad. But this was a, a step back. I mean, there's still... Do you do you still think they're going to finish above Arsenal this season?
0: Well, I I, th- I think this was very clearly, and and Pochettino admitted this afterwards, a knock-on effect from the, the the games they played last Saturday against Chelsea and then on Wednesday against Inter Milan. He said that they were feeling a little bit tired in their legs especially after they went three two down they couldn't find that extra gear and you, you notice that those three performances have got successively worse uh, the Chelsea were performance obviously brilliant and uh while they went into half time in the lead it was um not a great sort of to n- 90 minute performance from them they have started a lot of games quite well uh I think they've scored a lot more first half goals than they have second half goals Arsenal have been the opposite, actually, this season. They've come very strong in the second half. I think they scored more second-half goals than um, even Manchester City. Um, But this time, whether it was, you know, that they they knew that Spurs were going to be a little bit weary, they really hit them hard from the very first minute and, and took control of the game quite early on.
2: I also think Arsenal are very good at exposing Spurs' bad players. And yesterday was one of those games where the badness of, like, half the Spurs team could not be covered up by their good players. So, like... Aurier was disastrous, and Arsenal exposed him so many times in the first half. Davis was almost as bad, Arsenal exposed him a lot. And then in the one, midf- good,
1: really, one, really good one really good block from
2: Davis. One really good block from Davis, admittedly, but more bad things than good. Uh, and Soko and Dyer in midfield, like, neither of them, if we're honest, are very good midfielders. And Torreira and Xhaka were all over them, and that meant that Eriksen couldn't really get in the game. And I can't really remember seeing Eriksen as uninfluential as he was yesterday. And it was one of those games where you realise the limitations that Spurs' squad has put on Pochettino and how, you know, you can't he can't keep stretching he can't keep getting the absolute most out of those players week after week after week because the players just aren't good enough.
1: Is Eric Dyer Phil Jones post plastic surgery?
0: <laughs>
1: play centre back. Play right back. Play defensive midfield. Is
2: he? Is he remains Phil Jones? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, possible. Quite possible. I mean, no, yeah, he's not. He's it, better. He's better than that. Uh, he, no, he's, he's more. Very, re- he's more reliable. He's more consistent. He doesn't get injured as much. He's probably not as powerful as Jones. Like Jones used to be a very or could have been a very like exciting, powerful defender at one point. But he's not a great player. Like the fact is, Spurs' best. I mean, putting Ericsson out of the picture because Ericsson plays slightly forward. Spurs' best midfielder by an absolute mile is still Moussa Dembélé, and Moussa Dembélé is kind of yeah. finished.
0: Yeah, Dembélé yeah. is finished. And I mean, yeah, we're, yeah, excluding, we're excluding we're excluding Deli Ali and, and Ericsson. from Right? This. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because they. I mean, but in terms of the people who play in front of the defense. Oh right, yeah, like yeah. It's a Come on,
0: Dyer is. I, I think Dyer is playing below his level. I don't think this is his level. Uh, if you look at. For example, the what's his
1: actual best position? Like, if you if you were putting a team around Eric Dier, which is a horrifying thought, where, but where where would you put him though in that team?
0: Well, I'd put him in front of the defence.
1: So, like, he'd be alone holding midfielder with two guys ahead of him.
0: Yeah, but it it, it does depend on it does depend on the system, and it does does depend on the sort of um, the sort of football that you want to play. I don't think you can play through him as a he, he's not a he's not a a Jorginho type player, but if you if you put him in front of the defense with a, a against a side that you're expecting to to attack you pretty hard um he's he's quite his, his reading of the game is generally quite good what I think he's, he's missing at the moment is he's not quite as sharp as, as he normally is if you see that fourth that goal where he tries to dive in that's and and cut out, yeah that, that's a, that's a player who who doesn't who who knows what his limits are but isn't quite he he's, he knows what he, he's capable of, but isn't quite being able to execute it at the moment. I think it's very telling that Mourinho tried to sign
2: him the summer before last, and I mean as an upgrade on Phil Jones. Well, I think he would probably would have played him in, in holding midfield, and I think that he can play. I think he could play holding midfield for United very easily because it's not you know United wouldn't try and build up through him. He would just have it would just be a case of you know interpreting orders, blocking in the right position. Doing the doing what Fabian Delph would call the basics of football, whereas uh, the
1: basics of why why, why, why why are we taking Fabian Delft's philosophy as as the baseline for football uh, now? Uh, because I'm just in,
2: inspired by that amazing speech he made in All or Nothing. But um, Positional, sorry,
0: sorry. Positionally, Eric Dier is very good.
2: Yeah, he is very good, and that's why he would have been. I'm sorry. The point I'm trying to make clumsily is that he could play defensive midfield for a Mourinho-type team, Mm. but he's not Mm. technically good enough to play defensive midfield for a Manchester City or Chelsea-type team. And Tottenham, if Tottenham, if Tottenham are like being ambitious and expansive, then they're trying to be more like City than they are like United. They're trying to play expansive passing football that moves the ball forward quickly. And I don't think Dyer is technically good enough to play that role
0: for, for Spurs. He might be getting a might be getting a run in defence with uh, Vertonghen now suspended, Davinson Sanchez still injured, Juan Foyth looking a little bit question marks over all the future. Yeah. So they essentially, they've got Foyth and Alderweireld uh, in in um, in defence. Those are there. are only two available central defenders at the moment for the new camp. For the new camp. Uh, and that no, fourth is, is ineligible oh yeah, for, Foyth the new, is, for the Foyth new is camp, if not in the Champions League squad. So that's going to have to be for
2: Tongan and Alderweireld or for the new camp.
1: Okay,
2: yeah.
0: But and that's even if, if he wants to play, you know, two central defenders, if he wants to play three, then Dyer kind of has to play. I think them. that Spurs' is
2: best Spurs is best football in the Pochettino era was in 2016 17 when they played with a back three, two wing backs pushing up, and then Ali and Ericsson in behind Kane. That is their best football. The problem is that I disagree. With well, you're wrong. The, pro- the pro- sorry, let me. <laughs> the problem is that um, the wing backs are now not good enough to really justify playing that attacking system. So they're left playing two centre backs. But I still think the team looks better with three centre backs than with two, as in with Dyer, Dyer, Alderweireld,
0: and tongan rather than uh, rather than the back four. So what? You no, saying? I mean qualitatively, playing the three at the back with Dyer slotting in between the you know the two central defenders isn't. Isn't markedly different from what no, they, would, no, they no, what no, they're no. doing with with, with die slotting in in a four at the back. I, ju- I just think that Tottenham's best eleven contains Son uh, because I, th- I think that oh, yeah, I think
1: that is I think that is now true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you have to say so, right? Um, Arsenal fans are a famously understanding bunch, um, but we haven't really gone into how well they played, and I think we might be hearing about it if we don't. So, what struck you most about this? Arsenal team compared to so much of the late Wenger Arsenal that you had to endure? Uh,
2: to, firstly, the physical intensity, which you would never really get from Arsenal. Um, that was incredibly impressive. The way they tore into Spurs in the first half hour. They could have been like 3 or 4 nil up before Spurs scored those two goals and came back into it. So that's number one. Number two is the tactical flexibility. First half, 3-4-3 three, three, with Kolasinac on one side and Bellerin on the other side, getting up and down, trying to get in behind the us, sorry, the Tottenham fullbacks with great success. Second half, three four one two, with Lacazette and coming up front, coming on to play up front with Aubameyang and Aaron Ramsey playing as a number ten. And Ramsey was involved with two of the goals, so it's two completely different well, ways one of
1: one really one bad pass that he got lucky yeah,
2: with. Yeah, so two completely different ways of playing. Uh, and if you think about how uh, the, if you compare that to the kind of Wenger era, where the approach, particularly in the last few years, was so much like, "Go on lads, you're good players, figure it out for yourselves." To have two different tactical approaches, both of which caught Pochettino off guard, was so surprising and unusual for an Arsenal team.
0: Um, the Spurs did play right into their hands. They they went again with the diamond in midfield, which worked really well against Chelsea. But um, it left it left Tottenham so exposed on the flank. Bellerin and, and Kalasinach had an, an absolute field day on the flanks. Um, they were they were basically they had. Um, Pretty much half the pitch unimpeded tottenham was, was sort of trying to press uh a Jorginho type play which arsenal didn't really have and uh you know it, even in the second half you see bellerin's pass to ramsey for for the was it the equalizing goal um like Aubameyang's know, goal oh no obamiang's goal where, where it goes bellerin to ramsey a little flick little flick to Obamiang that pass from bellerin it's about 45 50 yards all along the ground, uh, from right back through the centre of the, the t- like the Tottenham midfield, that's just you sh- shouldn't be happening.
1: So Arsenal yeah, four Spurs two. Do we think Arsenal are a team that can fish in the top four?
0: Yeah, I think they're a lot. They're they're a lot better than. There's a lot more talent in that team than people assumed when Wenger left. Uh, what happened in the last two two or three seasons of Wenger was really really talented players not kicking on not improving and not really fulfilling their potential we're now seeing what happens when uh, those incredibly talented and and a lot of them quite expensive players actually play to their full potential obama yang is top scorer in the premier league i think and yeah yeah, and they're they're number one for sort of shot accuracy and and like shot conversion they're number one for points from losing positions which you can't imagine uh you know a wenger team ever ever you know managing that i think they've pulled us from like 12 points from losing positions there's a um, there's a spirit to them now and i think what we're seeing is more like their true level and w- whether it's good enough for the top four i'm not sure it, d- it kind of depends on how manchester united play in the second half of the the season which is why wednesday night's game is such a big one i think
2: i think there's I think I can't see United getting in the top 4 now just because they're so they're so awful. I think it's I I think Liverpool I think will be a comfortable second. But then I'm finding it difficult to d- define between Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs. Like Chelsea have done the best so far, but Chelsea was so incredibly bad at Wembley
1: the other week that you do think they might have a collapse in them. This is good though because uh, you know it's better if we've got a bit of intrigue in there because there probably is going to be no intrigue in the title race. No,
2: I completely agree. I think City will get 100 points again uh, but yeah I think Arsenal I'm now feeling quite bullish about Arsenal's top four chances having previously assumed that this would have to be a transitional season where they get fifth
1: and they could I mean we they could take a massive blow on Wednesday against Man United which is obviously a big game but United aren't exactly playing well themselves uh, great day for the red side of North London great day for the red side of Merseyside although I understand that you two probably didn't see much of this game because you were at Arsenal Spurs um, you've probably seen the goal though uh, the deciding goal, ninety no ninety sixth minute, with only four minutes added on. Jordan Pickford. Uh, he explained it as he was trying to tip it over the bar. He didn't manage to tip it over the bar. The ball bounces on top of the crossbar. Comes to Divakarigi, who nods home. And you've got to, I mean, you've got to say the stadium went berserk. It, it was incredibly loud. Uh, I imagine most of the Merseyside sporting press box went wild. Uh, I think they they needed this win. They didn't want to. Drop points against Everton with Man City so relentless at the top of the table, but Liverpool hold on for a bit longer in the tight race. I guess.
0: Can I just say, yes, minor point: uh, Klopp running onto the Klopp, Klopp running onto the pitch yep. after the goal to celebrate with Allison. Don't like that. Lack of, cl- lack of class? No, 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 I just I just think it's a guy who's. Uh, Totally is it performative? Is that? Is it's, it's a slightly it, performative. It's a guy who's totally wrapped up in the idea of himself as, a, as an absolute legend. I think if if Mourinho had done it, What's I What's German for absolute legend? Yeah, there's probably, there's probably a word for it. Like without, I did
1: see a lot of vasa last night, <laughs> uh, where, where it was. If Jose Mourinho had done that,
0: then the FA would ban him for three games. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the world's kind of worst argument construction, but I do think uh, it, uh, is it is also literally true. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah but, yeah. Thing
1: is, but actually it, it, that is true because Mourinho already has racked up like three offenses this season like that, and that is how the 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 FA's kind of disciplinary system works is that the more offenses you accumulate the more like you are but if Mourinho had done that it, yeah, I I completely agree and it it's a it's terrible sort of way to construct a, an argument but uh it, it was
0: everyone likes your passion everybody likes you know the the what you know the the what you bring to the game you behave yourself behave yourself yeah he has got a big
2: case to um, I'm a great bloke syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you can tell that with his kind of like Name
1: so me s- name me three other people who have I'm a great bloke syndrome.
2: Um That's a good question. Um, James I'm, Corden, is that is that the sort of guy uh, got Do you mean like within football? In
1: life in, life, in world. Uh, so people know what you're talking about. Uh,
2: yeah, Corden. Maybe
0: Jamie Oliver Jake Hump Jamie Jamie Oliver's really nice. Sorry, I, I is like he actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Jamie Oliver. He's really nice. Stay away from Jamie Oliver, Freddie Fintoff. Uh, maybe, although the thing, Matt Dawson, yeah, Matt Dawson has great bloke syndrome. I'm a great bloke. Look at me laughing.
2: Yeah, this is a, I think Klopp has it. I think Klopp is probably has it the most because with him, it's like not misplaced with Jake Humphrey. I don't... Uh, I think Klopp I, because Klopp is like is genuinely popular and funny and charismatic and incredibly good at his job. Mm. He's kind of a that is the basis for him, for him having him behaving like that, but he is also like
0: I am very impressed with myself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Look at my hilarious answer. Uh, I don't want to name any names. Actually I won't name any names, but a lot of football correspondents uh, at some um, national newspapers th- there's at least two or three I can think of that have like great bloke syndrome. I'm just going to
1: prevent us getting into trouble by moving on to the next subject now. Uh, The the other game on Sunday was Chelsea-Fulham, which Chelsea won 2-0 in the end. Um, But the big game of the weekend, obviously, was Southampton 2-Man United 2, after which uh, Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba had an enormous row in front of the rest of the changing room that so traumatised lovely Juan Mata that he could only write a three-word blog post about how he couldn't write any blog posts. And of course, there's there's nothing more shameful than not beating Manchester United at home. So Mark Hughes has been sacked by yeah, Southampton.
0: Breaking news, probably probably less breaking by the time you listen to this podcast. But yeah, in the last sort of hour and hour and a bit, um, Mark Hughes is, is no more uh, in a football sense.
1: And it's a big time for Southampton because they also need to hire a technical director or someone to lead the footballing side of their operations. Um, talk of Kike Sanchez-Flores, talk of... Uh, Uh, I don't really know how to pronounce that, but I think it's it's like that. Um, We're looking at a club that have now gone through, what, three or four managers in the last 18 months. They've had... uh, You had Hughes, obviously. Before that, you had Pellegrino. Before that, you had uh, Claude Puel. Who was before Puel? Koeman? Koeman. Koeman, crikey, yeah. So, they've gone through a few managers, and they've got worse, basically, every year, to the point that they're now kind of a team that's only just bobbing above... Relegation. So, if you were uh, Southampton, if you were... I mean, is Ralph Kruger still in charge of things? I know the Chinese investment came in. Um, if you were in charge of Southampton, what are you doing next? Uh,
2: I am thinking more... Not just thinking about a firefighter. It's not so late in the season now that they need a kind of Allardyce-style man to save us. Because that is... Sir Hansen's problem, or one of them, is that having had a clear identity a few years ago under Adkins and Pochettino and even Koeman, they're now locked into the Sunderland cycle, which is changing manager basically every year, getting someone to keep you up, trying to keep hold of them, then getting rid of them halfway through the next season and getting another firefighter in. Uh, it's no way to run a football club and it does eventually land you up in League One. Uh, so I do think they need someone who can not just keep them up but who they think they can build with again next year Whether that, that might well be Kike Sanchez-Flores he's a very good manager he was unlucky to lose a job at Watford after only a year um, it just sounds like you're describing Alan Pardew I don't think yeah I mean Pards would be exactly the wrong sort of person to get right Pards could maybe keep them up I like he's I mean he, there is certainly a man with I am a great
0: bloke syndrome yeah. uh. <laughs> you need a, you need a unifier um I don't think Pardew uh, for all his many qualities is that you,
1: the, the, given how he left Southampton last time I guess right, right exactly
0: that the, the, the doesn't there doesn't seem to be a huge amount uh, of of bad apples there. It's not a toxic squad. It's just a it's just an underperforming squad with a few kind of mid range players, quite a few mediocre players. But they, they are good enough to stay up. There's there are so many poor teams in the Premier League. and Southampton really on paper shouldn't be one of them. I think you need somebody who can who A is going to make an instant impact, but B is going to to motivate the players in a way that Mark you've never really has. I think uh, as, as we put it on the pod last week, a man without totally without verbs. He's, he's just he's just not i don't know he's he's not a motivator he's not a he's not a like a master tactician he doesn't bring through youth I don't, so the, the, he's just a guy yeah i th- and i think that probably dictates that they need it, it should be a continental appointment yeah. where i think that a culture of of moving into a place mm-hmm. and just like doing a job in in sort of eight 12 18 months is is probably more you know they need a marco silver essentially and i don't know marco silver got hull relegated but Southampton are so much better than hull
1: i've got two questions um one of them is Sean Dyche, Eddie Howe. We talk about these guys and how they're,
0: they're, they're, they're... Technically, those are
1: statements. No, 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 because I haven't finished the question yet. That, proper that was an interruption uh, of a question. Uh, Sean Dyche, Eddie Howe. We talk about how British managers don't uh, are not... These are probably the two best English managers right now. And they're not getting chances at the next sort of r- level of club up. Like Everton didn't look really at Dyche or Howe. So Southampton are kind of on the next tier of club, I guess, in terms of resources and, and, and size, stadium, everything that comes with it. So if you were Southampton, would you be tempted to go across the coast? Would you be tempted to look at someone like Sean Dyche knowing that he's done very well with scant resources at Burnley and, and perhaps could do more, given a little bit more with you? Or, or you know, like you say, I mean, is it just something you have to go continental and, and go for a A name which has an A or an O at the end.
0: I think if if you're a coach worth your salt, you want to take a job in the summer. You want some some building time. You want a bit of time with the players. You don't want to be. I think. Interesting. That
1: that was my my second question. Was since when has it become so hard to hire mid season? That feels. This feels like a very relative, Mm. uh, a very uh, not very. It's a very recent thing that kind of you can only get good coaches in the summer now, whereas previously. You would get some kind of seismic moves in mid season, and we're just not seeing them anymore.
0: Yeah, I think I think about, about half. The, you don't see so many of those appointments succeeding anymore. Uh, generally, they fall into kind of the Allardyce, Moyes, uh, Mark Hughes kind of category, where you hire a, a sort of a known firefighter or kind of a, a slightly left field, you know, like a, a René Mullenstein or a Bob Bradley or, or Remy Gard. Legendary appointments, yeah. So I, I think if you're a, if you're a coach with like Eddie Howe with designs on on building a project at Southampton, it's, you know you you very definitely can because the fundamentals of that club are very sound. You played for Southampton, and he
1: played for Portsmouth. <laughs> oh, Portsmouth.
0: He's. Uh, I think
2: that Howe would be a better fit than Dyche. I think that Dyche ha success has come with a. Very specifically chosen group of players who have been able to do what he wants them to do. Whereas Southampton's a very different dressing room, with players from all over the world, and I can't see, I don't think it, f- I don't think it would fit quite as well. Particularly Dyches, also with the d- sorry
0: the the expectations of the Saints fans and the Saints board. has signed very well. That's, I mean, that's been a big problem. That's Southampton have had. Daisa has actually signed very good players: Chris Wood, uh, Goodmanson, um, what's, what's his face um, up front. Folks folks De- mm. Stephen Defour stephen defour andre gray andre gray or even even the guys
1: that they ended up selling on like Michael Keane, yeah, uh, like half a dozen keepers yeah. uh that's true um the other uh, i mean unless you've got anything special you want to say about Southampton just before we have to go i yeah, I was going to bring it back to man United because they did fail to beat Southampton, they were two 0 down and and came back from that, but uh, what what is there left to say that we haven't yet said about how in. how boring man united are right now? Just was the,
2: well, yeah. They I mean, he, Johnny's right, they have got to bin him. He's it, rubbish. He's rubbish. The performances have been so much worse than the results. So like, the results have been awful. Like they're miles away, they're not going to win anything. They're going to come 7th. But the performances have been as bad as the Mourinho season. Like but they just not lose like Newcastle at home, Bournemouth away. Young boys at home, Southampton away. Uh, these have been like standout stinkers week after week, and yet the combination of like luck and the players caring more than the Chelsea players did in 2015-16, they are not doing as badly as they should do. But it, I mean, like, you know, surely you would imagine that soon enough the results will catch up with the
0: performances. If they had someone who they wanted, who they actually wanted, you know, lined up, then I think he would be toast. As it is. As we as we've seen appointing in mid-season with a top-four place still kind of just about reachable, probably is not the wisest idea. Well,
1: this is the thing, isn't it? Is what I was saying about them. It's impossible to make these big mid-season hires now, even if you wanted. For example, Mauricio Pochettino, you couldn't go and get him now because you know that he's not going to leave Spurs halfway through a season. It would be very interesting if United did bin Mourinho and went really hard at Pochettino to see what would happen. But I think you just see Daniel Levy just pull the shutters down, right? I mean, there's just. Because there's no release clause, as far as we know, in Pochettino's contract or anything like that, it would simply be Daniel Levy just going, no.
0: Well, it's very possible they're they're already making representations through their their mutual friend Alex Ferguson. Almost certain. Yeah. To like, hey, do you want to take over, take over at the end of the season? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sure discussions like that are going all, going on all, all the time.
1: One of the great things that Man United have to be hoping for is Santiago Solari has a good kind of second half of the season at Real Madrid because if Solari doesn't do that well in the second half of his season, then Real Madrid will be rivaling them, and then it gets a bit more messy, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think if if um, Real Madrid in the hunt for a manager next summer could really shake up the entire. Managerial market,
1: because we have. I mean, there was that one summer when when everyone changed. When when uh, Guardiola came in and when Mourinho came in, and was it Conte came in the same year. Yeah, yeah. Where kind of the, the the whole top six had a very different look to it. But it's been fairly stable the last couple of years. Um, but you do feel like Jose Mourinho. This thing is not working out. I don't think they're going to turn it round from where they are. Like he's had the windows, the transfer windows, to change the squad to make it into you know. A couple of years ago, people were saying giving time, getting the players he wants. Obviously, he's a very specific sort of coach. I mean, he's been there long enough now that we expect more than this, and and they're not doing more than that. Are there any other uh, non-things we talked about, Premier League talking points that you'd like to get across in the next? One minute. Uh, Tim Lovejoy also has I'm a great bloke syndrome.
2: Very good shout from you. A lot of cricketers have it as well. Um, Oh, Graham Swan. Great, great, I think Graham Swan probably has more of it than anyone else alive apart from Jurgen Klopp.
0: I, lo- I like Swanny. I, I, sh- I shouldn't like Swanny but I do.
1: And on that note, we will end the Indie Football Podcast for this week. By the time you listen to this podcast, we may or may not have won several awards between us. Uh, most likely not. We uh, may or may not have England with a brilliant semi-finals draw in the Nations League. Um, we may or may not have a government in place still who knows but uh, all i know is i'd like to thank jack brooke for coming today
2: thank you ed for having me
1: i'd like to thank jonathan Lou for coming today you're welcome and i'd like to wish you both the best of luck tonight um oh also yeah by the way uh, still we uh, currently haven't got a sponsor you might have noticed but we are getting nominated for awards so if you're rich or own a company then just like hit me up i'm sure we can come to some sort of deal Uh, bring me the cash. Uh, uh, Until next time, this has been the Indie Football Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. My name is uh, Manly and thank you, and goodbye.